Okay, we're doing now Thursday of the portion of Nusso. And now we begin a whole new section of many, many, many verses, which is the dedication of the leaders of the tribes on the day of the completion of the erection of the, ta- of the tabernacle. So we begin, we're in chapter 7, verse 1. It came to pass on the day Moses finished erecting the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and he anointed it and consecrated it and all of its utensils and the altar and all of its utensils and anointed them and consecrated them. We're talking here about the first day of Nisan when it was completed the setting up of the structure of the tabernacle. And Rashi here says that kalos, really it should be vocalized kilos, finish. But instead we vocalize it kalos, making it similar to another word that's vocalized that way, kala, a bride, to imply that the day that the tabernacle was erected, the Jews were like the bride entering the wedding canopy. So it says Moses finished. And the question is, what do you mean Moses finished? There were many, many, many people involved, seemingly far more than Moses, and doing far more of the physical hands-on building of the tabernacle and all of the vessels. But the verse is crediting Moses, that Moses finished. Rashi says because he utterly dedicated himself to it. He observed the structural design of every object to make sure it was perfect as he thought, as God showed it to him on Mount Sinai. So even though his hands weren't involved with the tabernacle, but he was, in a sense, the key architect of the entire project, this is what he with King David, who did not build the temple. The temple was built by his son Solomon. But he was completely dedicated to it. He was completely dedicated to the construction of the temple. He gathered all the materials and supplies. And therefore, it's called the Temple of David, even though he, we could say, didn't do anything for it. But he was the prime factor of the entire project. Now, the verse says, on the day Moses finished erecting, not on the day Moses erected, because there were really seven days of Moses erecting and dismantling the tabernacle. It started on the 23rd of Nisan. And the seven days completed on the first, sorry, 23rd of Adar. And the seven days completed on the first day of Nisan. And that last day, the final day of the seven days, he erected it and he didn't dismantle it. So that's why the verse says on the day Moses finished erecting, it's when the whole procedure, the process of erecting ended on the first day of the month of Nisan. So that happened on the first day. And Rashi continues to tell us a little bit of the history there. On the second day, we have the burning of the red heifer, of the Karaduma, because this special red cow, of which there are only ten in all history, which we had nine in the temple by the Mashiach, the Messiah, this completely red cow that was never used for work, that doesn't even have two black hairs, the ashes of this cow purify one who's impure with the impurity of dead, which all the Jews were at this point. But that service cannot be done that service could not be done if it wasn't a temple, because part of the service is that you take the ashes and you sprinkle the blood of that cow in the direction of the temple. So if you don't have the tabernacle set up, if you don't have a temple, you can't do the procedure 
for which one prepares the ashes of the red heifer. In other words, we want the ashes to sprinkle on those that are impure with the impurity of the death. But to get the ashes, we have to burn the cow and we have to sprinkle its blood. And since we have to sprinkle the blood in the direction of the temple, the temple, or in this case, the tabernacle, has to be erected before we can do anything. So on the second day of Nisan, after the temple tabernacle is erected on the first day, we can do the ritual of creating these ashes of the red cow. And then on the third day, we're going to now consecrate the tribe of Levi. Of course, they couldn't be consecrated until they were sprinkled with the ashes of the red heifer. They were sprinkled on the third day. They were sprinkled again on the seventh day. After, this was on the seventh day, after they were shaven. That was part of the procedure by which the Levites were consecrated to be serving God in the temple. It was definitely a very busy week, a very godly week. And again, because now we have the tabernacle, now we can have the ashes, now we can purify the Levites and truly all the Jews from this impurity of contact with the dead. The leaders of Israel brought those who were the heads of their father's houses. They were the leaders of the tribes. They stood by during the counting. So the leaders of the tribes, we're talking actually about people. We, there are shows, we know these people. They were the officers in Egypt because the officers of the Jews in Egypt were really very special people. They were actually beaten for the Jews because if the Jews didn't fulfill their quota, the Egyptians beat the Jewish officers because they were supposed to beat the Jews to make sure they filled their quota. So these officers were people that had been beaten for them. So therefore they were deserving now in their time of greatness, be part of that greatness, and be the leaders of the tribes. And therefore, they stood with Moses and Aaron when the Jews were counted. So these leaders of the tribes, they brought their offering before God. Six covered wagons and 12 oxen, a wagon for each two leaders and an ox for each individual, and place them before the tabernacle. So we have these covered wagons. Rashi explained the word sub as covered wagons, or some say sub means the finest, because they're very fine special wagons, that they placed before the tabernacle because Moses said, I can't accept unless God tells me so. They placed it before the tabernacle, and then God said to take it. So Rashi says that, quoting Reb Nassim, is very interesting, because when we had originally in Shemaise and Exodus, when we discussed how all the Jews dedicated everything to create the tabernacle, the leaders were the last ones. And here when the tabernacle was erected, they're the first ones to bring gifts. So he gives a little history. What happened was, when the Jews were bringing everything, the leaders sort of stood by and said, all right, you know, we'll let the common man, we'll let the people contribute whatever they can contribute, and then we'll, we'll fill in all that's missing. But nothing was missing. The Jews brought everything. So all that they had left to bring was the special onyx stones and the stones of the breastplate, the aphod, the breastplate. So they sort of felt like short change, like, oh, we feel so bad. Here all the Jews brought, brought, and brought, and we were sort of standing on the sidelines, like, full of ourselves and waiting, and really everything was brought, basically. But we're not going to make that mistake twice. So once the tabernacle was erected, they right away came with this gift. Now, the rabbi comments that it's interesting. It seems so cheap. <laughs> Here, they're the leaders of the tribes. All the Jews were fabulously wealthy at this point. They had the spoils of Egypt. They had the spoils by the splitting of the sea. They had plenty of wealth. 
says when the moon came down from heaven, with it also came precious stones. Those Jews were very, very wealthy. Anyway, the leaders of the tribes, they're bringing six wagons, and why they at least bring 12? One person, why the two chip in to make one wagon? So that basically explains that we don't want anything wasted. There's no benefit in waste. So when the leaders estimated, looking at everything that would go in the wagons, the weight of everything and how much wagon power was necessary, they thought it needed precisely six wagons. So even though it seemed like, oh, we're giving six, you know, we should give 12, but it, was, it wouldn't be beneficial to give 12 because then there'd be six wagons of wasted space, which teaches us a general lesson of like, you know, more isn't always better. We want to see what's needed and do that instead of just like cooking lots and lots of extra food that then spoils because nobody's going to eat it anyway. So God said to Moses, saying, Take the offering from them and let them be used for the service of the Ohamoid, of the tent of meeting. Give them to the Levites, each man according to his work. According to the work, meaning the Lord of the sons of Gershon was lighter than Merari. So Merari would get more than Gershon. And of course, the children of Gahas didn't get any at all because they were carrying the holy vessels of the tabernacle and those vessels shouldn't go in the wagon. They went on the Levite's shoulders. Moses took the wagon and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two of the wagon and four of the oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon according to their work. Four of the wagons and eight of the oxen he gave to the sons of Merari according to their work. They were in charge of, they were in the charge of Isamar, the son of Aharon, the priest, the Kohen. So we see here that Gershon got two and Merari got four because as we're saying, Merari had heavier load. He did not give any to the sons of Gahas because the sacred work was incumbent on them, which they had to carry on their shoulders. So as we said, since Gahas is carrying the sacred objects, the ark, the chokhan, the menorah, the table, the candelabra, so they carried it on their shoulders. They didn't put it in a wagon. So now, okay, it's again, it's Rosh Hodesh Nisan, and here the temple is finished erected, and the leaders bring these six wagons with these 12 oxen, and then they feel, we want to do more. And the rest of our verse is discussing their more. The leaders brought forward the offerings for the consecration of the altar on the day it was anointed. The leaders placed their offering before the altar. After they contributed the wagon and the cattle to carry the tabernacle, they felt, we want to do more. We want to offer special offerings to consecrate the altar. And again, because Moses wouldn't accept the gift until God says so, it says they brought their offerings before the altar, and in other words, directly before God, for God to say yes. God said to Moses, one leader each day, one leader each day, they shall bring forth their offering for the dedication of the altar. So God is saying yes. But Moses still doesn't know, okay, I've got 12 tribes here. How are we going to organize these tribes if each of the leaders wants to bring all of these special offerings? So God is saying it should be organized not in order of their birth, which is what we might think, but in the order of their travelings. The one that brought his offering on the first day was Nachshon, the son of Enadav, of the tribe of Yehuda, Judah. So this was the first day. In this day it says took ten crowns, so to speak. It fell on the first day of creation. It was the first of the leaders offering their offerings, it was the first of the priests, it was the first of the sanctuary service, first for the descent of the heavenly fire that consumed the sacrifices, 
first for eating the sacred offerings, first for the visitation of the divine presence on the Jews, first for the priestly blessing of the Jews, first for the prohibition of the private altar, and the first of the month. This was a very, very, very special day. So here we have the first priest, prince, sorry, of the tribe of Judah. The question is, since the verse is emphasizing he's of the tribe of Judah, of Yehuda, did he gather the money from his tribe? Did he sort of tax his tribe so that they collectively purchased all of the enormous amounts that he's right now dedicating to the tabernacle? Or did it come from his own pocket? And it's not clear because it says, of the tribe of Judah. So therefore, to teach us this, the Torah adds, this is Nachshon's offering. In other words, he did not take the money from anyone else. All of this very extensive series of offerings came from Nachshon ben Aminadav personally, and so too, of course, with all the rest of the princes. So now we're going to read all of the details of his offering. His offering was one silver tray. Its weight was 130 shkalim. One silver bowl that weighed 70 shkalim, according to sanctuary weights. Both were filled with fine flour, kneaded with olive oil for a meal offering. So this was what we call a minchas nidava, a voluntary meal offering, not an obligatory one. One spoon of 10 gold shkalim filled with incense. So Rosh explains that as Onkelis does, that it was the weight of ten shkalim at, by the sanctuary standard. And filled with incense, Rosh says it's very unusual because we don't find that an individual brings incense. This is the only time. And we never find incense offered on the out, outer altar, only on the inner altar. So this is the only time an individual brings and the only time it's offered on the outer, outer altar. One young bull, one ram, one yearling sheep for a burnt offering. So the young bull, the best of its herd, and one he goat for a sin offering. The he goat is for what sin are we talking about here? For to atone if someone defiled the tabernacle by being impure by a grave they didn't realize. Meaning you're walking and there's an unknown, unsuspected grave under you. So you became impure, but you didn't realize, and then you walked into the sanctuary, so you violated this prohibition of someone who's impure with the impurity of the dead from coming there. So the peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five kids, and five yearling sheep. This is the offering of, as I said before, Nachshon, the son of Aminadav. On the second day, he that brought was Nisana, the son of Suar, the leader of Yisachar. Now, this is written different than others, especially as you see in the next verse. He brought forward his offering, one silver tray, its weight was 130 shkolim, one silver bowl that weighed 70 shkolim, according to sanctuary weight. Both were filled with fine flour, kneaded with olive oil for a meal offering, exactly what we said with Nachshon ben Amnada. So why does the Torah use this unusual expression? In other words, we have this 12 times. The only time it says he brought forward. Because after... Nachshon and another of the sides of Yehuda of Judah brought. Reuben came forward with a complaint. He said, well, this isn't right. I let Yehuda go in front of me. Of course, Yehuda is the 
tribe of the kings, but Reuben was the firstborn. But nice, Sachar's going to go in front of me, I should go next. But Moses said, no, that's not what God told me. I'm like, I asked God, should it be order of birth? I wish he should have been first. Should it be order of camping? And God said order of camping. So that's why it says he brought forward Hakrev, inferring that Moses is saying, you should bring forward. You come forward. So it actually says that Samuel brought forward twice because there were two reasons why he merited to bring his offering second among the other tribes. One, because in general of his tribe's knowledge of Torah. And two, because he was the one that advised all the princes of the tribes to bring these offerings. So in the merit of him really being the impetus for the offerings, he got to offer second. So it says he brought silver trays and the, le- the letters of this numerically are equivalent to 930, corresponding to the years of Adam. Its weight was 130 shkolim. It's a lose that when Adam fathers children to sustain the world, it was 130. Of course, he had his first children, Cain and Hevel, where, of course, we know what happened there. But then when he was 130, he had his next child, and then others after one silver bowl, its numerical value is 520, alluding to Noah, who had children at the age of 500. That's 520. 500 is when Noah had his children. And 20 is alluding to the years, the 20 years by which the decree of the flood preceded his having children. And its weight was 70 shkolim, corresponding to the 70 nations of the world that came forth from Noah's children. One spoon of ten gold shkolim filled with incense. And this corresponds the spoon, responds to the Torah given from God's hand. Ten gold shkolim corresponds to the Ten Commandments filled with incense. So the numerical value of Ketiris is 613. You could say, no, it's not. <laughs> but there's a technique by which we can convert letters called Atbash, which means the first and last letter of the Hebrew alphabet can be switched. So Aleph can be switched with Tzav. Bez can be switched with Shin. Gimel can be switched with Resh. And Dalid can be switched with Kuf. So if you look at this word, Kitaira, and you switch the Kuf into a Dalid, you get 613. 613 commandments. One young bull, one ram, and one yearling sheep for a burnt offering. The young bull is corresponding to Abraham because it says he took the bull um, for his guests. He did it as to, you know, shecht it and then cook it for his guests. One ram is corresponding to Isaac because, of course, the ram was a sacrifice that was offered in place of Isaac on Mount Maria. And the sheep is corresponding to Jacob because Jacob, of course, had all these services. They were serving God by separate tending the sheep and separating the sheep, the herds, the various spotted and speckled and striped sheep. And one he goat for a sin offering, well, this is a sin offering here, is to the goat is to atone for the sale of Joseph. What is that with a goat? Because after they sold Joseph, they took a goat and slaughtered it and dipped Joseph's coat in the blood of the goat, which is so much the blood of man, to deceive the father that Joseph had perhaps been killed by an animal. So that's the sin offering we're discussing here. For the peace offering sacrifice, two oxen, five rams, five kids, and five yearling sheep. This was offering the son of the son of Tzuar. 
So the two oxen are Moses and Aaron. This is a peace offering. They make peace between God and the Jewish people. The rams, goats, and sheep are three species corresponding to the priests, Levites, and the Jews, and corresponding to Torah, the prophets, and the writing. So we have here three fives, five rams, five kids, and five yearling sheep. So those three fives correspond to the five books of the Torah, the five commandments written on one tablet, and the five commandments written on the other. And all of this commentary, which seemingly is very majestic, but if Rashi is bringing it, of course, it became part of the literal meaning of the verse, he learned from Rav Moshe Hadarshan. And now we're going to go into the third day with the Zavul, and we're going to read the exact same thing. So the question we could ask is, but the, the verses don't waste words. Torah is so, so careful, actually, to be very uh, concise whenever possible. And here we have verses and verses and verses all say the same thing. Because guess what? Every single tribe gave the exact same offering. So why am I now, I heard it by Judah, and now I heard it by Sachar, now I'm going to hear it by Zavul, and I'm going to hear it by every one of them. So why does the Torah keep repeating it? So the Rebbe explains that even though seemingly we're saying the same thing, we're actually not at all. Because each tribe's offering was really, besides these general intentions that Rashi just enumerated, but each offering was very tribe-specific. And for each tribe, each of these items implies something different. As per the the special divine service of that tribe. So therefore, even though it seems the same, it actually was different. So that's why the verse can't say, and they all did the same, because they really didn't. And that's why we repeat it all again each time. So on the third day, the leader of the son of Zavulan, Eliab, the son of Chelon. So Rashi points out here that we see how Yisachar was written different than everyone else. Because with Yisachar, remember when Nisanel, the son of Tuar, it said first his name Nisanel, and then leader of Yisachar. And by here, and by all the other ones, it first says the tribe, the leader of the son of Zavulan, and then it says his name. So except for Yisachar, the verses always begin by mentioning the tribe of the day, and then identifying the tribe's leader. But by Yisachar, Nisanel's name was mentioned first, and then after that it mentioned, well, who is this Nisanel? It mentions his tribe. And the reason for this is because all the other leaders brought their offerings and the merit of their tribes. That's where the tribe was mentioned first. But Yisachar's name of his leader, Nisanel, was first, because why was Yisachar second in the merit of Nisanel? In other words, as Rashi told us, that Nisanel was the one that advised all the princes what to bring. It was all coming from his advice. So in the merit of him advising it, that's why his tribe went second. So it's not that he's bringing in his tribe's merit. His tribe is bringing in his merit. And that's why his name is written first. And now we're going to read, and we don't have any more Rashi. We have a lot of verses because we're just going to read the exact same thing we already read now twice. And we're going to read it several times now. We're going to read Zvulan's portion. And then we're going to read Reuven's portion. And then we're going to read Shimon's portion, all again bringing the exact same offering, but really very different, because each one was the energy of that tribe. So his offering was one silver tray, its weight was 130 shkalim, one silver bowl, silver bowl that weighed 70 shkalim, according to the sanctuary weight. Both were filled with fine flour, kneaded with olive oil for a meal offering. One spoon of 10 gold shkalim filled with incense. One young bull, one ram, one yearling sheep for a burnt offering, and one he goat for a sin offering. For the peace offering sacrifice, two oxen, five rams, five kids, and five yearling sheep, 
This was offering of Leah, the son of Chelam. Now we come to the fourth day and the next tribe, which is Reuven. On the fourth day, the leaders of the sons of Reuven, the others of the son of Shedeor. His offering was one silver tray, its weight was 130 shkalim, one silver bowl that weighed 70 shkalim according to the sanctuary weight. Both were filled with fine flour, kneaded with olive oil for a meal offering. One spoon of 10 gold shkalim filled with incense, one young bull, one ram, one yearling sheep for a burnt offering, and one he goat for a sin offering. For the peace offering sacrificed, two oxen, five rams, five kids, and five yearling sheep. This was the offering of Litzur, the son of Shedeor. And now we come to the fifth day, where is the offerings of Shimon. On the fifth day, the leader of the sons of Shimon, Pumiel, the son of Trishadai. His offering was one silver tray, as it was 130 shkalim, one silver bowl that was 70 shkalim, according to sanctuary weight. Both were filled with fine flour, kneaded with olive oil for a meal offering. One spoon of 10 gold shkalim filled with incense. One young bull, one ram, one yearling sheep for a burnt offering. One he goat for a sin offering. For the peace offering sacrifice, two oxen, five rams, five kids, and five yearling sheep. This was the offering of Shlumhiel, the son of Shemeshaddai.